Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. We are in week number 10 already in the series, The Fullness of Life, and I lost my clicker, and I feel really handicapped this morning and unable and unsure what to do with my hands, so... Let's see how this goes. The Apostle Paul didn't need a clicker. I don't need a clicker either, right? So John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And so we've been exploring what does is, what is a full or abundant life look like? And one of the key elements of such a life is the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, through 23. Let me read those verses where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so today we dive deep into this fifth fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness. But before we do so, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for baptism. You know we need pictures. You know we need tangible things like the Lord's Supper and um, believer's baptism by immersion to, before our very eyes, play out the elements of faith. And so, God, we um, pray for Audrey today and pray for a special blessing for her, a special blessing on, on her family, and just thank you that her testimony goes forth loud and clear. I pray that someone here today is challenged by that testimony, and perhaps you would even use this baptism to bring them into the fold. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What is quite timely that we study kindness today because it came to my attention um, that yesterday was actually World Kindness Day. So what are the odds of that? The, the day that we celebrate or we study kindness, the day before was World Kindness Day. Anybody celebrate? Jerry, what'd you do? You thought about me. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Every November 13th is World Kindness Day, but as believers, every day is supposed to be World Kindness Day. Am I right? So our world would definitely benefit from more kindness. The kind of, the kind of kindness, I'm a wordsmith, uh, the kind of kindness that author Thomas Trask wrote about when he was telling the story about um, an Argentine golfer a few decades ago named Robert de Vincenzo. Robert de Vincenzo. Listen to his story. Um, he once won a tournament, and after receiving the check and smiling for the cameras, he went to the clubhouse and prepared to leave. He walked alone to his car in the parking lot and was approached by a young woman. She congratulated him on his victory and then told him that her child was seriously ill and near death. She did not know how she could pay the doctor's bill and the hospital expenses, and DiVincenzo was touched by her story, and he took out a pen and he endorsed his winning check to the woman. Make some good days for the baby, he said as he pressed the check into her hand. The next week, he was having lunch at a country club when a professional golf association official came to his table. He said, some of the boys told me you met a young woman in the parking lot last week after you won the tournament. 
DeVincenzo nodded. Well, said the official, I have news for you. She's a phony. She has no sick baby. She's not even married. She fleeced you, my friend. You mean there's no baby who's dying? Queried DiVincenzo. That's right, answered the official. That's the best news I've heard all week, DiVincenzo said. How would you respond? I'd probably be one of those who are like, well, where, where is she? Let's, let's arrest her. Let's, let's have justice be done. But instead, this kind gentleman, he's more excited of the fact that there really wasn't even a sick baby. And uh, I think that's a great challenge to me this morning. More happy about the fact that there is no sick child than upset that he had been scammed. Well, as we've been doing the past few weeks, we're going to look at kindness through the grid of kindness defined, illustrated, commanded, and practiced. And so let's look at the first one of these, kindness defined. Our English word comes from the Greek krestos, krestos which as I put some pieces together, my definition of krestos is compassion in action. Compassion in action. I think there are two important parts to this definition. First of all, the compassion part, which tells us that there's something inward. There's an inward component to kindness. It is a disposition of the heart. It comes from the heart. There's something within us that kindness wells up within us. An inward component, a disposition of the heart. One that has concern for others, and especially those who are suffering or in need, kind of like this woman in the story that we just told. But there is also an outward component to kindness, for it is compassion in action. An outward component, it is expressed in good deeds. It is expressed in good deeds. So here's the thing. Kindness isn't truly kindness until it has been expressed. Kindness is not truly kindness until it has been expressed through some act of service or generosity or hospitality, caring for others, bearing their burdens, valuing them above ourselves. If you think that sounds a lot like love, well, you'd be right. Because being kind is how we show love. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, verse 4. We looked at this last week. It says, love is patient. That was the fruit last week. What's number two? It's kind. It's kind. Patience is like first on the list, but kindness is a very close second. So those who are loving, which we are called to be, they demonstrate kindness, compassion in action. But here, I think there's an important distinction that we need to make in our definition. That distinction is this. Being kind is not necessarily being nice. Being kind is not necessarily being nice. Chew on that just for a minute and think what I might mean by that. Here's a chart that I came across this week. I think it helps. Um, Those who are nice never want to rock the boat. But those who are kind are actually willing to make waves. Those who are nice are most concerned with not upsetting someone. They want to maintain the status quo. They don't want anybody to get agitated. But those who are kind are most concerned with doing what is right. Those who are nice are afraid to speak up when they witness unkind behavior. But those who are kind are willing to speak up and take a stand. Those who are nice ultimately are worried about being liked, but those who are kind 
are worried about being kind. For example, here's a picture. The old broccoli in the teeth thing, right? What does a nice person do when someone has broccoli in the teeth? It's like, oh, I don't want to say anything. That'll be embarrassing, right? And they might get mad, and it might be awkward, and they might not like me anymore if I say something about that. That's, that's nice. What's the kind thing to do in that circumstance? Kind says, I can, I'm more concerned with that person, and I, I want to do what's best for them. And even if they get kind of awkward or grumpy with me about pointing this out, I am going to do it anyway. And so you can take the broccoli example and you can extrapolate it into many, many different circumstances. The bottom line is nice does not take the risk that kind does. Kind cares about the other person. Nice cares about ourselves and not wanting to be awkward or unliked or rocking the boat. So I find in general, the church is really good at being nice. The church is really good at being nice. We are not so good at being kind and speaking the truth in love for the benefit of the other person, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the risk. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 tells us, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you had the broccoli in your teeth, you'd want somebody speaking up and being kind, wouldn't you? Right? And then you take that on a bunch of different levels, things that are far more important than broccoli in the teeth. We need one another to be kind to one another, even saying the hard things that are risky. We need compassion and action, ready to speak up and act in the best interest of others. And so that is kindness defined, compassion in action. Next, let's look at kindness illustrated. And just as in previous weeks, who, who is the epitome of the example of kindness? It's going to be God. It's going to be God himself, the perfect example of this fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at the kindness of God for a moment. Psalm 145, 17 says, and this, this verse is so beautiful, so profound. It says, the Lord is righteous in some of his ways. All right. Oh, it's all. Okay, good. It's, it's all his ways. And kind in all his works. Now, that's interesting, especially in light of the fact that we spent a year in the book of Revelation, and we saw God's wrath, we saw God's judgment, but this verse tells us that even when God brings judgment, it is founded in righteousness and ultimately kindness. There is kindness in all his works and all that he does, all that we experience. God works all things together for our good because he is kind, even the things that we don't understand. And the kindness of God is most clearly seen in the gospel. This is the message of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Audrey's testimony this morning, her baptism, it's not because she's a really good girl, although I'm sure in a lot of respects that she is, but she is not saved because she's a good girl. She is saved because she came to the acknowledgement that she is a sinner 
separated from God, and it is only by God's grace, His free gift of salvation to her, and her receiving that gift, which is God's kindness to Audrey, God's kindness to us, that she is able to be saved, that we are able to be saved. Titus 3.4 says it this way, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The gospel The gospel is the ultimate example of compassion in action, kindness even toward us rebellious lost sinners. In fact, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 tells us it is God's kindness. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. When's the last time you just really stopped and meditated on God's kindness toward you, toward others, toward all lost sinners. What a gracious, kind, good God we serve. So that is kindness defined and illustrated. Now let's look at kindness commanded in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. It gives us, first of all, the, the flip side of kindness, the opposite of it. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Those things are not kindness. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. But then the second half of verse 32 says this. Instead, Pastor Chad interjected that, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So once again, as it was with the other fruits of the Spirit, kindness has this volitional component. We are to choose kindness. We are to choose compassion in action, even when we don't necessarily feel like it. And regardless of our circumstances, even when it means choosing and showing kindness to those who have profoundly hurt us, just as Jesus showed kindness by laying down his life. And once again, I appreciate the imagery of Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We mentioned last week that putting on something, putting on clothing, it speaks of intentionality. You didn't roll out of bed today and your clothes just somehow got on your body, right? You had to be intentional about putting them on. But there's also something about this clothing, this putting on analogy that I think is significant. Clothing is not only meant for covering, although it is, and we're glad for that, but it's for adornment. It's for adornment. 
What I mean by that is you, you could have come this morning with a burlap sack on, right? You didn't do that. You chose clothing based upon what you like or what um, you chose for adornment, that which enhances your appearance. Some of you are wearing green and white today. Others of you are wearing maize and blue today because you think it's adorning. I think it's silly, but you be you. But you chose that on purpose, not just to cover your body, but because of adornment, because of fashion, because it says something. And when we put on kindness, it says something. What does it say? It says our God is kind and he's loving and his, his kindness that draws us and brings us to repentance. When you demonstrate kindness, especially in the face of opposition and people who hate you and people who harm you, when you show kindness in those circumstances, it shows the kindness of God and God is able to use that to his glory and to draw others to Jesus. Jesus is beautiful when we are kind. And so kindness is commanded of God's people. So is kindness defined, illustrated, commanded. Let's, let's actually spend most of our time talking about kindness practice today. And I can't think of a better example in the scriptures than the parable of the Good Samaritan. A story perhaps many of you are familiar with it. Um, and it, maybe it's too familiar. Maybe it's like, well, I've heard that before. I know it. And you're going to tune out right now. Don't do that. Because I think there's some important things that the Lord wants to speak to us today through the parable of the Good Samaritan. The setting is Jesus answering questions of religious leaders and one in particular about kindness. They want to know, well, who is my neighbor? And it's really, uh, who am I obligated to show kindness to? And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, where it says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Some of you have, I know. Have any of you traveled this road from Jerusalem to Jericho and know exactly what they're talking about? My understanding, hey, here's an aside. We get past this whole COVID thing. How about we do an FBC trip to the Holy Land? Anybody up for that? Yeah? Um, I would love that, and I think that would be so much fun. Um, so just file that away, start saving your pennies, and let's go to the Holy Land together. And when we come across some of this stuff, you'll say, hey, I've been there, and uh, have the souvenirs to show for it, okay? So there's this road that runs from Jerusalem to Jericho, a mountain road which descends 4,000 feet in elevation over the course of 17 miles. So it is filled with switchbacks over very rugged terrain. It is also dotted with caves and large boulders. And so it is the perfect storm for robbers. It is a place where people would hide. Bad dudes would find their home there. And as unsuspecting travelers who were ill-equipped would come along, there would be trouble. And so it was a foolish thing to travel this road alone, which is exactly what this poor individual was doing. And so you can predict what happened, for it says in the second half of verse 30, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So not only does this poor guy lose his stuff, he's on the verge of losing his life, his only hope is for someone to come along, and hopefully soon he is bleeding, 
And then in verse 31, someone does come along. It says, now by chance, a priest was going down the road. Hooray, a priest, right? Good news. This is fantastic. If anyone is going to bring help to this poor gentleman in this situation, it's going to be a religious person, right? Especially one who is an expert in the Mosaic law, which says in Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Help has arrived. Or has it? For we read in the second half of verse 31, when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Have you been there? I've been there. You saw a need. You sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to you, prompting you, giving you that burden to, that you need to do something about this need, and you're like, you, I'm, I'm too busy. Other things to do, even good things, important things. But you let the opportunity pass. You pass by on the other side. And so apparently being religious for the priest or even for us is no guarantee that we act with kindness. What was the priest thinking? If we could crawl into his head for a minute. Well, likely it was the fact that according to Jewish law, anyone who touched a dead body would then be ceremonially unclean for seven days. As as the priest is coming up on this, this, this person laying there half dead, he's not sure. Maybe this person is dead. And so if he touches him, he looks pretty dead. Rather than risk not being able to perform his priestly duties in the temple, which were important, then they were good. He looked the other way, and he intentionally passed by on the other side of the road. And so the priest's religion ultimately was more important to him than people, which is very sad. But all is not lost for the injured man, for we read in verse 32, it says, So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him. Now, what's a Levite? We go back to the Old Testament. There was this this tribe, the Levites. They were a tribe of priests. And so priests came from the tribe, tribe of Levi. These are also, like the priests that we just came across, people who perform duties in the temple. Um but they don't do the exclusive duties that the priest does. A lot of support work, a lot of help in the temple. So probably this guy could risk more in terms of being ceremonially unclean and being able to wait for the allotted number of days. But look what it says in verse 32 about him. He too passed by on the other side. So, so far, the religious folks are 0 for 2 in showing kindness. What was it that the Levite could have been thinking? Well, perhaps, perhaps his concern was the same as the priest, or he could have been fearful of something else. He could have been fearful of an ambush. For you see, it was not uncommon on that road for people to pretend to be beat up to pretend to be hurt, and then for unsuspecting, good-hearted folks to stop and to help, and then people would jump out of the bushes and behind the boulders, and then they would rob the person who was actually doing the helping. And so maybe that was what the Levite was concerned about, which kept him moving and ignoring the plight of the injured man. However you slice it, the guys who should have been exemplary in kindness failed miserably. And then the story takes an unexpected twist in verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. 
a Samaritan. In Jesus' day, in the eyes of the religious leaders and the Jews, Samaritans were essentially Jewish wannabes. They were like a half-breed, a corrupted line that had strayed far from pure Judaism. And so they were viewed as being very worldly and less than the true Jews. And so they were looked down upon with great, great prejudice. And so surely as the religious leaders are listening to this story, as bad as things had gone for the priest and the Levite, um, it's going to be far worse for the Samaritan. Surely he's going to be the villain. He's going to maybe finish off this half-dead guy or something terrible. But that's why it's so shocking that we read in the second half of verse 33 that when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. How about that? Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's take just a moment to discuss very quickly some lessons from this parable on the Good Samaritan as we talk about kindness practiced. First of all, kindness sees. Kindness sees. Now the priest and the Levite, they saw. They saw the situation but they didn't see the man. They didn't see the man. And until you see the man or the woman or the child, you will not be moved to compassion. Until we see people through the eyes of Jesus, the way that he sees them, we will time and time again see situations, but we will not be moved with kindness and compassion. We will be like the priest and the Levite. We will find excuses. We will find good reasons that we don't follow through in obedience with kindness. We will fail like the priest and the Levite to show the kindness of God. A key element in seeing people the way that Jesus sees them is to be in moment-by-moment communion with the Holy Spirit. Moment-by-moment dialogue, moment-by-moment conversation, so that when you walk into a situation, when you see people, you are prompted and you are listening and you are hearing and being directed by the still small voice of God. Church, may we pray that God would give us eyes to see beyond situations to actually see the people involved the way that Jesus sees them. Next, kindness risks. Kindness risks. Anytime you step out and you get involved in someone else's life, there is risk involved, isn't there? It may be a risk of your time. It may be a risk of your resources, a risk of your energy, a risk of your patience. Think of all that the Samaritan risked in this situation, even to his very life. It could have been an ambush, but he stepped out in faith and risked anyway. True Christianity takes risks 
of kindness. I think of the Snyders. I think of the risks that you guys have taken in welcoming children into your home. There's risk, isn't there? And it's not easy. You have taken that risk and shown godly kindness. Recognizing that this life is not about self-preservation. We, we saw that in the video about the International Day of Prayer, about the worm brands. Folks who came to the conclusion that those who look to save their lives will lose them, but that those who lose their lives for God's sake will find them, so it is with kindness. We must get beyond self-preservation and be about self-giving. Luke 9.24 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Compassion in action requires us to lose our lives as Jesus did. Next, kindness acts. We've hit that pretty hard already, haven't we? It's not enough to feel kindness, to feel something. It isn't kindness until you do something with it. It's too easy for us to think of kindness as warm sentimentality. But John 3.16, which epitomizes that gospel kindness, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We too must be people of action. Next, kindness prepares. Kindness prepares. Um, we don't always know when profound opportunities for showing kindness like this will present themselves. Sometimes they come out of the blue and they surprise us. And it's like, whoa, wasn't ready for that. Didn't know that was going to happen today. Certainly that was the case with the Samaritan. As he was walking down that road, he didn't wake up in the morning thinking that he was going to come across a half-dead man. But it happened. The opportunity presented itself. And he was prepared. He was prepared to do something about it when an opportunity for kindness arose. He had resources and was ready to use them. Do we? When it comes to your family budget, do you have a kindness line item? Something that you put away that's just prepared, you know, just for when it happens, that someone may have a need. God may bring them across our paths. We want to be prepared to be able to be like the Samaritan and show goodness and kindness when we can. Have we budgeted for kindness? Have we scheduled our lives in such a way that there is time for us to act with kindness? Some of us haven't, we're unprepared to act with kindness because we're too busy. There's no margin. There's no opportunity to act with kindness because of our schedules. Kindness prepares. And lastly, I want to give you um, some application questions for reflection. These might be good for lunch today, or these might be good for family devotions this week. These might be good for your own quiet times this week to, to reflect upon. And the first of these application questions for reflection is this. In what ways have you personally been a recipient of kindness from God and others? In what ways have you personally been a recipient of kindness from God and others? Number two, are you known more for being kind or nice? For being kind or for being nice? Number three, what is the bigger impediment to you showing kindness like the Good Samaritan? Is it seeing the need or is it taking the risk? Is it seeing the need or taking the risk? And then lastly, number four, how can a simple act of kindness by you today make a big difference in someone else's life? And what will you do about this? 
like to close with a quote by author Christopher J.H. Wright, who says this. He says, Kindness goes beyond duty. It means doing something you don't have to do, but just choose to do. Kindness goes beyond reward. It means doing something you won't get paid to do. In fact, real kindness usually costs something and doesn't expect any reward. You do what is kind for its own sake and for the sake of the other person. In that sense, kindness is its own reward. You can pause with me as we pray. Father, we are in awe this morning of your kindness toward us, your mercy, your love that we do not deserve. God, if we are honest and we take a few moments, we could make a long list of ways that you have been kind to us and that others have been kind to us. So we pray against the evil one and his desire to cause us to forget such things. Make us sensitive and help bring to our memory all of the kindnesses that we've been shown. And may those inspire us to show kindness to others. God, break us out of our comfort, our safety, our security, which, if we're honest, would keep us from taking the risk that the Good Samaritan took. Help us to be grace-filled, faith-filled risk-takers for the sake of the glory of God. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.